0: Growing up, one of my favorite Disney movies, uh, I guess it shows our age a little bit, uh, was Aladdin, (laughs) alright? So, Aladdin was a lot of fun because you had humor, you had the rags to riches, you had adventure, there was a love story. Everybody can enjoy Aladdin. But what was really intriguing about the movie Aladdin was that genie in the bottle that offers three wishes, right? And I'm sure you've been asked before, what are your three wishes? So think about that for a second. If you could ask a genie right now for three things, and before we get into it, um, not for unlimited wishes and all that sort of stuff, right? But... What would be some of your three wishes? Go ahead and just tell somebody sitting beside you. Now, my three wishes before, because I wasn't going to ask you to do something I would not do. So my first was money, and so I would, uh, you know, rub on the genie's bottle, and I would say, I want, and then I got to thinking, well, how much do I ask for? Like, I mean, a million, but no, 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 we, we can get whatever, right? So a hundred million, why don't we just go for it? A billion dollars, all right? So I would ask billion dollars, all right? That's a good one. Second... <laughs> I would ask for height, okay? Oh, Legitimately. Yeah. And hey, hey, listen, I'm not gonna be greedy. I'll take five nine, all right? Like I, I will do that, you know. I mean, that's okay with me. But I would ask for that. I know I don't need I don't need Brady height over here. I'm okay. Uh, my third wish, and I went back and forth because that last one becomes the hard one to spin. And so I said I would choose health for me and my family, all right? So that was kind of selfless, maybe, right? That we don't have terminal diseases, that we don't have these terrible things, that coronavirus doesn't hit us too soon. But like that is my wish for health, that we are okay, and that we don't have to experience the pains of life so many times. And I'm sure that some of you probably ask for just as selfish things, right? Maybe you were a Miss America contestant and said, I want world peace, okay? Or maybe nobody would ever go hungry again. I applaud you for the selflessness of your wishes, but I'll bet your other two were pretty selfish. <laughs> what I began to realize, though, is when I wrote down my wishes, I began to see that Jesus and God in his word has spoken against everything that I wish for. That when Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where there are are no moth and there is no rust. When Jesus, he doesn't talk about height necessarily, but God speaks on that. He says, when David is being chosen, remember, it's not the other brothers, even though they looked better, they were taller, they were stronger, they were the ones that you would seem to choose. Remember, it is David because his heart is pointed towards God, his Heart is given to God. Remember, He looks on the inside and then on health. And I'm going to take a stretch here, but remember, it is Jesus who is speaking to the Pharisees who says, It is not the sick who need a doctor. I mean, it is not the well who need a doctor. The sick need the doctor, right? And Jesus says, "Uh, You know, I have come not to call the righteous but the sinners. And what I began to realize in each of my wishes. Is that all of my wishes are pulling me away from a dependence of God and into a dependence on what I can have? That if I have more money, if I have more hype, I don't know what that does for me, just maybe more self esteem, I don't know, (laughs) which that's scary. But, anyways, we'll move on. And health, I don't need God for anything. And, And I wonder how much of my life is spent moving away from a dependence of God. And as I began to look into those, I began to see the immaturity of my faith based on my wishes. My wishes were not outward focused. My wishes were very selfish and very self-contained. And tonight I want us to discuss this idea of spiritual immaturity. We're going to be in the book of Mark uh, chapter 10 for the whole weekend. So you can go ahead and move your little bookmark there. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to sit, starting in verse 35 tonight. And I'll go ahead and tell you... Um, that this has just kind of come to me recently. Uh, Cooper, he said, Oh, I'm getting called out on this. Yes, you are. So, Cooper, knowing that he was going to be leading worship for us over this weekend, began texting me, right? I mean, even at Mississippi and right after Mississippi, hey, what are you teaching on? What are we going to be learning about? So I can start planning songs. He asked me probably two or three texts, I just kind of blew them off. I'm not, uh, don't worry about it. And then finally, on January 20th, Cooper sent me a text. Hey, Jordan, I'm really laying out songs right now. Do you know where you're going? Just any idea would help. And I responded back to Cooper. I looked back at the text, and it says, honestly, I truly have no clue. I usually wait for it to hit me. And then when it does, I just run with it. January 20th text. January 21st, I open up my F260 reading. We're in the book of Mark in chapter 10. And I begin to read, and I read verse 35 where it says, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And I said, this is us. This is what we need to talk about. Because the spiritual immaturity of James and John in this passage, I think, point to how we handle our God. God, do whatever I ask you to do. And when you don't, I'm done. And so tonight we are going to be sitting in this request of James and John. And we're going to be looking at spiritual immaturity. And the first thing I want you to see is there is spiritual arrogance on display by these two brothers. They come to Jesus and they say, you would think I'm paraphrasing this or writing it in Jordan's own translation, but this is what the ESV reads. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, be our genie. Grant our wishes. Do what I desire. Spiritual arrogance, I'm going to define it this weekend for us as believing that I know better than God. It's showing up to this relationship saying, I am smarter, I am more able. If only you would listen to me, everything would go well. And what's crazy is this: these guys are the disciples, right? They have an amazing call story. They're on the boat with their dad. Jesus walks by on the beach, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And they leave their family business. They leave their father in the boat with the servants to go and follow Jesus. These guys have been on the inner circle. Not only are they a part of the 12, they're a part of the inner three with Peter who get to see the transfiguration, who get to see other healings, who Jesus brings along to special occasions. They get to see even more than everybody else. And yet, here they are backing Jesus into a corner and saying, Do what we desire. Grant my wish. Two weeks ago in Sunday school, I asked the question, and it's really stuck with me. Do I worship the God of the Bible or do I worship the God I want? Do I force God to align with my desires, my wishes, and my ways? Or do I listen to Him? Let's get more practical. Do I create a God in my mind who fits with my social agenda, who loves who I love, hates who I hate, forgives who I forgive, and accepts who I accept? Do I worship a God who I uh, make fit within the parameters of my financial expectations. God, not only do I want you to give me enough, my daily bread, I need lavish, carefree lifestyle. This is the God I want, the God who blesses me beyond belief. Do we tell God in our spousal desires, do we tell God who to send us, and we don't listen when he tells us who to date? Because we worship the God I want, not the God of the Bible Do we tell God how our career is going to go and then he needs to make and orchestrate it to work out? Or do we listen to him and say, I will follow you wherever you lead? I'm afraid that we want the God that we want, not the God of the Bible. And I see this play out so many times because we want God until he no longer does what we want. I want to worship God until he no longer fits within my way of thinking or he no longer does within my way that he should be doing. I want God until he no longer does what I want. When he's not the genie that I can get wishes from, when he doesn't bless me how I want to be blessed, I am going to move on to something new, something better, something different because they will give me what I want when I want it so we put him in the back of the closet, we push him aside, and we say, "Uh, you didn't cut it. If only, God, you would listen to me. Our spiritual arrogance says, I know best. If you'll just follow me, do what I say, and then I will be happy, and then I may even give you attention. I may even worship you. I may give you some of my money. I may give you some of my praise. But you need to show me that you're worth it first. Jesus is interesting, though, in verse 36. Can you imagine if you went to your mom and said, Hey, Mom, uh, do whatever I want. She'd say, "Uh, Try that again, right? (laughs) In the nicest way possible. But what does Jesus say? Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? We'll talk more about that tomorrow night. But here they step in from... Spiritual arrogance to spiritual selfishness, it says in verse 37, they answer Jesus, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in glory. This spiritual arrogance now leads to spiritual selfishness. I want what I want and only what I want. Jesus, I want the seat of power, of prestige and of prominence. I want to be distinguished for eternity. I want honor for eternity. I'm calling this and I want it and I want you to give it to me. This is a bigger deal than Dwight at the Benihana where he can't, like, hear the conversation going on. Right, Isaac? Where are you at? You understand what I'm saying, right? (laughs) This isn't getting stuck at the end of the table where we're going, but they're just awkward to talk to, or we have a weird history, or they just have some obnoxious points of view, and I just don't want to be stuck there for eternity. No, they are not just asking so that they can sit in the middle so they can hear everybody. They are asking for the seats of honor so that they can be rulers, so that they can be seen as powerful and better than everyone else. It's funny that a chapter before, Mark 33 through 35, a similar conversation was happening among the disciples. See, they were walking down the road, and Jesus, kind of like the parent in the front seat, who hears what's going on in the back but waits for a better time to ask, he says, so what were y'all talking about while we were walking? And they're kind of embarrassed, verse 34, about what was going on. Let me read that for you. It says, um... They kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was greatest. See, they're just like, us. who's the best? Who's number one? Who would be first pick? Who who do you love the most, Jesus? Who are you going to reward the most? Who's the best of us? I mean, I've done some good things. My resume stacks up. I just want to know my class rank. I want to know my disciple rank, right? Jesus, What's interesting is they were kind of sheepish. About that before. Now the brothers have some boldness. Hey, uh, Jesus, do what we say. And this is what we say give us the best seats, give us the power, give us this role and responsibility. We think we've earned it. Their spiritual arrogance leads to selfishness, and then we see some ignorance. Let's read verse 38 uh, through 40. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. You see the ignorance there? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? We will explain that, so just hold on. And they said, once again, spiritual arrogance. We are, I mean spiritual ignorance, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and my left, that's not mine to grant, but it is for those who it has been prepared. What in the world is going on here? The spiritual ignorance of James and John, I want to define it this way. They value their finite understanding over God's wisdom, His infinite wisdom. They think within their finite understanding, they know more and know better than God's infinite wisdom. Their ignorance here is so easy to see. And the way I like to think of this is like the eight, nine-year-old, maybe you had a sibling about that age where y'all both decided you wanted a puppy. And your parents are like, Nah, I don't think it's a great idea. It's a lot of work, right? Puppies are a lot of work. No, 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 we can handle it. No, 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 you don't know what you're asking for, right? Like, there's a lot of work you got to do. You need to save up some money so you can get him. You need to do this. You're going to have to bathe him and clean him and teach him how to do this and that and all that. We can do it, Mom. Just let me do it. And then you realize after you get the puppy that having a dog is only part of the responsibility and fun, right? Because now you have to clean up when he pees. You have to save up your money to buy his food. The challenges that come along with what you signed up for were kind of hidden. And you're going, man, was this worth it? The brothers come up to Jesus and they say, we want this seat. And Jesus warns them, you do not know what you're asking for. The cup that he speaks of. The cup in the Old Testament often represented divine uh, wrath. This is God's wrath that is poured out on the unholiness of his people. This is judgment. Jesus is saying, you really want this cup? You want to experience the divine judgment that I am going to take on for the the rest of the world? You sure you want to sign up for this? Yeah, 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 that sounds good. The baptism with which he is talking about is, uh, he is alluding in this point to uh, the cross that is about to endure. The the suffering, and we talk in baptism about being buried with Christ and raised to new life. The baptism he is speaking of here is the cross that he is about to endure. And he says, are you sure that you want this? And they say, we are able. In fact, in their ignorance, maybe they are signing up for this. Because the disciples will die in this same way. They will suffer and be martyrs for the sake of Christ. But this spiritual ignorance says, I value what I know more than what God has in store, his infinite wisdom. It's that same story of Peter, right? The night that Jesus was to be betrayed, Jesus says, everybody's going to abandon me, and Peter's like, they may, but I'm not. I'm like super apostle, right? Like I am super disciple. Yeah, I mean, I've wondered why we had a few of them guys, actually. But I'm not going to do this. And he looks at Peter and he says, tonight before the rooster crows a second time, you will deny me three times. In his ignorance, he says, oh no, I would never do this. And Jesus says, but you don't know what's happening. We, I think... For the brothers the the only thing that i can help uh, kind of understand is that right before this jesus had just kind of talked about what was happening they were on their way to jerusalem they know that this is where the king is supposed to go to be inaugurated into his kingdom and jesus tries to warn them it's not going to be great when we go here he says in verse 34 they're going to mock me spit on me flog me and kill me and then in three days i'm going to rise I think the disciples were kind of tuning Jesus out during the mocking, the flogging, and the killing part, and they heard rise, and they said, well, we better sign up for the right spots. And they've missed, in their ignorance, the whole understanding of what it means to be a part of this cup and the baptism. I think in our lives, and when we teach Christ and preach Christ and share Christ, that we share him as Savior, and a lot of people really want Jesus as Savior, but they don't know what they're signing up for when he is their Lord, right? Well, we want Jesus to forgive us, to wash us, to cleanse us, but we don't really want him to tell us how to live our life. We've got that figured out. See, they said, oh, I can handle that. We are able, and I think we say the same thing. Oh, yeah, sign me up save me Jesus I'm all for this and then he starts telling us who to date how to spend our money where we should go and all of these things and we go wait a second now I like you as my savior I'm not sure about you as my lord then we get to the final one for tonight we have seen some arrogance I know better than God we've seen some selfishness I want what I want and only what I want we've seen some ignorance i value my understanding over god's infinite wisdom and finally there's jealousy so you would think when the other 10 show up they would just go guys y'all are messing this all up but instead what do they do they whine and complain like james and john just called eternal shotgun before them right like oh man why we even know this was on the table right like how did you beat us to this? This isn't fair, Jesus. They shouldn't get it. We should. They, they don't go, this was a bad thing to ask for. They go, why didn't I think of this first? And maybe I can get in on it. The the best way I can remember jealousy that's really been lived out palpably between uh, four, Carlin and I, is one time we took a beach trip. We had some really great friends when we were in seminary. Uh, ben was in school with me and uh, his wife was a nurse, and so there was a lot of similarities. Our wives worked, we lived in the same apartment complex, we all watched TV shows together, we cooked and ate, and it was a lot of fun, we were super close. And so we said, hey, this seems to be a great relationship, let's go to the beach. So for spring break, during our seminary days, we went down to the beach. And I drove us down there, and I was getting us checked in, and after we got our key, I gave them a key, I said, hey, y'all go and check out the room, I'm going to go park the car, and we'll be right up. So Carl and I parked the car, and when we walk up, there's two rooms in the condo in which we're staying. We walk in. The first room on the right is, you can tell, obviously for kids. has kind of a fun aquatic uh, bedspread on it. it. I think it has like a rubber mattress cover or a plastic mattress cover, you know, because everybody's peeing through it. <laughs> it's very tight quarters um, in that room. I don't even know if you could put a suitcase in it. And then you walk down a little further, and you saw the master bedroom. It had an ocean view. It had a massive bathroom with a tub and a shower and all this counter space. There was a great difference in the values of the rooms. And so when we walk in, we see that their stuff is in the master bedroom. That didn't sit well with my wife. <laughs> nor me. <laughs> talk about you. You're here, so I can talk about you. Uh, and so we did what any wise 24 year old would do. Can anybody guess? Rock, paper, scissors, okay? So, yeah, like, I mean, that's how you solve issues, right? Rock, paper, scissors. So, unfortunately, I said let's do best two out of three. Rock, paper, scissors, Jordan wins first round. All right, we're feeling good, all right? I gave away, but round two, rock, paper, scissors, Ben wins. Okay, now, we pressure's on, rubber match, right? We've got to get this one. This is it for all the marbles. Rock, paper, scissors, Ben wins. I could just see the disappointment flood Carlin's face. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. This isn't fair. We take our luggage into our little room and through hushed conversations complain that we drove, we booked it, we found it, we should have the master bedroom and not be stuck on this mattress in here. It lasted about a day and a half. That was kind of awkward and just, you know, there was a lot of tension in the air. But jealousy overtakes us. The disciples, the other ten, were jealous. That's not fair. Spiritual jealousy and uh, a definition, I had to get Troy to help me out on some of these definitions because he's way better than, than I. We defined as, I want what you have and will not stop until I get it. The spiritual jealousy reveals the hardness of hearts of these other disciples. They just got beat to calling it, honestly. They wished and wanted and desired the exact same things, and so they are jealous when it's taken from them. Pride and envy overtake the scene, and these 12 men that Jesus has been preparing for the last two and a half years, he's under 10 days away from being on the cross and dying, and then really setting them up to be the church and to share the kingdom and to do all of the work. And here they are bickering over this nonsense. Jesus is rightly frustrated over this, but he takes the time to teach. This spiritual jealousy, I think we feel a lot. I remember it was last year during this weekend that we sat and through the broken service that you get in this place, emails were coming in about impact. And it was really hard to watch as great, qualified, Jesus-loving girls and guys were denied this opportunity to serve, and I am sure within them, this jealousy began to spring up over why did she get it and not me? This spiritual jealousy swells within us when why did she get to be selected to be a Bible study leader and I'm not? Why is he a part of this organization and I'm not? Why did they get this job that I didn't even want or apply for, but I'm still upset that they got it because I'm more qualified than them? And our jealousy begins to swell. And it takes us from celebrating the blessings of others to wanting and desiring and coveting. Jesus sees the spiritual immaturity of his 12 followers. And he says in verse 42, he called him to them and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority. See, ruling on earth, you have such a terrible view of it is what he's saying. It's just a power play that then you you just use it and abuse it against people. But it should not be so among you, verse 43. Whoever would be great must be your servant and whoever would be first must be your slave. Jesus is saying, don't spend all your wishes on these earthly desires. Don't spend your wishes on gaining for just yourself. No, understand that the way that my kingdom works is completely flipping on its head the way that you see the earth running. See, the ones who are first are to be last, the ones... Who are great are to be servants. They're to be slaves. The work of a servant and slave is not for self in any way. It is only for the other. And Jesus is saying, my people, the ones who follow me, the ones who live for me, must live in a way that is outwardly focused for the good of others. They don't spend all their wishes on money, height, and health. They spend their wishes for the good and for the sake of their neighbor. But see, our spiritual immaturity is so similar to that of the disciples who pull Jesus aside and they say, Do whatever I ask of you. Jesus, be my genie. How often have we treated our God the same way? Demanding rather than worshiping. Forcing Him to do what we say rather than trusting His ways for our good and His glory. How often do we come in with this spiritual arrogance and selfishness? Jesus, at the end there, verse 45, what we're going to wrap with tonight, says this, a great memory verse, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for me. Jesus says, I'm not asking of you anything I don't do. I spend my life. Not just a weekend, not just a few hours, not just a a summer. I'm spending my life for your sake. I'm giving up and laying down my life for your sake. And this is what I expect. You talk about following me. This is where I'm going. Will you join me? So tonight, you're probably going to laugh because we did this at fall retreat, but I'm not going to do it the same way. I need us to confess Our spiritual immaturity. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it is your arrogance that you believe you know better than God and He just needs to fit into your plan. God, I know what I want to do with my life. You just need to figure out a way to make it happen for me. I don't know if it is your selfishness that you Know that this is what I want, and I'm not sacrificing it, God. You're just going to have to give it to me, and I don't really care what that means for everyone else, but this is what I want, and it's the only thing I want. Maybe it's your ignorance. Yeah, I, I signed up for something, but I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I, I, I like that idea of being saved, But I don't like that idea of being told how to live. Maybe you need to wrestle with that because maybe you're fighting His Lordship in your life. Or maybe you need to confess your jealousy. That your jealousy has caused you to pull away from relationships, to distance yourself, to no longer be able to celebrate what God is doing in the life of someone else because you are so upset that you're not being... The instrument being used. I don't know what it is for you. But I fear. That you bust in. To God's throne room. Through prayer. And say God do whatever I ask. And if he doesn't. You say well I don't really know if I want to follow you. I want you, God, until you stop doing what I want. So I'm calling us to confess tonight. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I pray that in this moment we will see how we have abused your grace. we will admit how we have turned you into a genie that we just make wishes of and demands to. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our arrogance and our selfishness, our jealousy and our ignorance. Forgive us of wanting it our way and our way only. Forgive us of our arrogance of thinking we know better than you. Forgive us of the times that we have worshiped the God we want, not the God of the Bible, the God who you are. So, Lord, now in this space, I pray that you break down these barriers that we've created, that we don't show up just demanding, do whatever I say, but we show up humbly with a bowed heart saying, wherever you lead, I'll go. I want to follow you. So Lord, uh, chisel away at hard hearts tonight. Release um, strongholds that we have held on to. Break down walls that we have built that we haven't crossed over in a long time. But Lord, I pray that we confess tonight for you. So in this space, uh, may you be honored. It's in your name.